Hello everyone, welcome back to People Pictures Words. This is the part two of loving someone with a mental illness. Last week we discussed our respective illnesses. I think just to remind everyone, I have bipolar. And I do have an eating disorder. And I think today's episode is going to be more about things like coping mechanisms, triggers, incremental recovery, and what episodes look like for the both of us. And we're going to kind of bring it full circle as to why we've decided to call this loving someone with a mental illness. Je voudrais vous demander une chose. Est-ce que vous croyez au fantôme? Doing anything that gets you out of the bed is a win over that depression. Because basically the depression wants to keep you there. Mm. So it can drain you completely. So it gets you to the point where, well, I mean, what is the goal of depression? The goal of depression is that at the end of it, you end things. That's, yeah. that's the goal that's of the, goal. the demon, you know? Exactly. You know? So you can actually look at it like that. And I think a very similar thing can be said about your disorder. And I wanted to ask you, I wanted to just jump into, yeah, what triggers you to get into a state where, I mean, what would be an episode for you? There's a lot of similarities, a lot of triggers as well. Uh, basically, I would, I would say that my eating disorder is like a voice that is always, always in your mind, in your head, telling you what to do, telling you what to eat, telling you that you didn't do enough today. Um, Eventually, someone might have told you this a few years ago, or you look at the picture of yourself from a few months ago and you compare yourself to what you look like now. I also struggle with body dysmorphia, which is like this little voice. Maybe it's the voice that leads to body dysmorphia. Sometimes I do, and in the very, very depressing time, even though I, I, I'm very battling depression because I medicated for that. For, for this, sorry. Um, yeah, it's, an, it's, an, it's a symptom. It's a, it's a symptom. Yeah, so that it's, comes... It, it, yeah. yeah. Anything disorder is basically a voice and body dysmorphia. Right? We spoke about the factors, the builders. Now I'm going to talk about the triggers. <clears throat> so I said the pictures, the what you look like in the mirror, the, the, the clothes that might have fitted you when you were thinner. And now they're a little bit more tight. So now you are self-conscious about it. Or you, you, you think that, oh, today I, I've eaten too much. So maybe I will cut down uh, on some food today or there's too many calories in this plate. Let me just remove some or let me, you know, it's always about calculations. It's a very irrational, rational illness. Mm. I'm very bad at math. But some, for some reason, I'm very good with numbers. Mm -hmm. I'm good with numbers on the scale. Mm. I'm good with the IMC. I don't mm -hmm. know the word. What, what's the word? It's basically in English. It's basically the the weight compared to your height. Mm -hmm. And there's several steps. So there's healthy, unhealthy, malnourished, and not dead, but very bad. Okay. And no obesity, but. I was never in this case, but anyway, so the triggers, so it could be like, oh, you look beautiful. Why do I look beautiful? Thank you. But you, you, you look healthy. Great. I'm fat. Trigger. Somebody says, for example, you should eat something. You should eat something. You are very thin. You are you're very, very tiny. Uh, drop your workout routine. Well, I don't have any. 
my workout routine is uh, this fucking voice in my head telling me what to eat and what to not eat. Mm -hmm. And also, I would add to that, there's also, it's a very, very um, toxic thing, but I find, I, I, I actually feel dopamine on a day where I felt like I didn't eat enough. When I start to feel like a hungry pain in my stomach means that I don't have enough calories, which is good because the, the following day, maybe I will look thinner. Trigger. I scroll on social media, I found a girl who I compare myself with and I think she's beautiful because she's thinner, she's, she's got cheekbones, she's got all the, these little criteria that I put on, my, on, on me that I, I think I don't have enough. I want to just actually just jump in and just talk about social media, how social media fuels the fires of mental illness as far as I'm concerned, which is why I just am not on any of it. I mean, I have an Instagram account just recently for work, but that's all I use it for. I'm really, I'm not, I don't care who follows me. I, um, I'm not really following anybody. I don't go on it. I don't scroll on it. I used to in my 20s. I used to compare myself. Oh, big time. I'd go on Facebook and there, you know, because of the status updates, depending on my mood on the day, I will write whatever I'm thinking. And people would, you know, call me out on it and say, you can't say that or that's crazy or send me messages and say, remove that or this. And then I would just double down on my behavior. What, there's something wrong with me? Oh, okay. So there's something wrong with me. So then let me just continue down this path of uh -huh. self-destruction because I've already, you know, committed to it, you know? Mm -hmm. That's the th thing about depression. You're like, okay, I'm committed. I'm yeah. committed to this depression or I'm committed to this mania. Yeah. It's, it's, I've, uh, the explosion's happened. I've, I've hit the MacBook Pro once on the table. Let me just hit it a few more times until it's fucking broken. Once I took paint and I threw it over a car, for example. I don't know why I threw paint over a car. I looked for the craziest thing to do at the time. There happened to be a bucket of paint there. There was a car. I poured paint on the car. Mm. That's it. Yeah. That was the end of one. You know, that was the conclusion to one of my explosions once. But I think for girls, especially yeah. for women, social media, if it's bad for guys, I mean, women just seem inseparable from social media. At least that's yeah. what I've experienced. Yeah. I think there's more women on social media. And the thing is, even me, I'm a woman. I follow more women than, than guys, actually. And why do I follow women? Because they are beautiful. And why are they beautiful? Most to me, to me, it's because they're thin. There's also another thing which is very toxic that you can find on TikTok. It's the diet culture. It's the what you shouldn't, shouldn't eat. Keto diet, uh, low carb diet, uh, refined sugar. So this, I will add, because now it's ingrained into my brain, I cannot help it. I still have some, is it a coping mechanism? Uh, what I'm going to explain, like for example, when you go into the supermarket, I want to buy something, I automatically uh, look at what I... That's not a coping mechanism, no. A coping mechanism would be you're having, you're about to have an episode, you're triggered and you find something to stop yourself from having an episode. All right, so... So let's just, let's just define a coping mechanism quickly. A coping mechanism, a trigger is something that basically, well, it's in the word, it triggers an episode, right? You see something, you hear somebody say something, you know, sometimes they mean well. You know, cheer up, you know, it's a nice day. Whew, when you're depressed, oh mm. my God, that's just gonna make it worse, yes. you know? And just like for you, hey, you're looking good, you're looking healthy, you know? Okay. So, but a coping mechanism would be, for example, you've been triggered, but 
Now you've got coping mechanisms in place. I learned uh, a few of these uh, because uh, I take my meds, I see a psychologist and I've trained myself to basically, when I'm in a position where I'm triggered, but I have the strength to pull myself out of that episode, nip it in the butt before it happens, I will look for a coping mechanism. For example, the other day we were in the car, I wasn't feeling so good, you said, go to McDonald's. Getting a Big Mac for me is a coping mechanism. All right. You know, uh, it's it's comfort food and yes, it's a temporary Band-Aid, but at least that temporary Band-Aid will stop me from bleeding out until I'm able to get to a point, a position where maybe I can okay. sit down and, and watch Attack on Titan and then that will lead to me doing something productive, you know? Right, okay. For me, coping mechanisms is actually, for example, if I, I, f I feel fat for some reason on a day, I need to take a pause and, and draw because when I draw, when I read, the only thing that I'm concentrated on is the thing that I'm reading or the thing that I'm drawing, the details which I pay attention to. I don't pay attention to this voice anymore. This voice is shut down completely. I still have bad habits though, the one I talked about previously. Anytime when I go to the supermarket, I looked at the ingredients at the bottom of the box or anything. This is part of uh, orthorexia, which is basically when you're trying, it's either the beginning of an eating disorder or the following, the following recovery of an eating disorder. You're not really anorexic anymore because you're starting to eat, but you pay excessive attention to what you put in your system. Mm -hmm based on what you consider bad food or good food, fear food. Fear food for me is fast food. It's, it's a, this is why uh, I'm avoiding it completely. And, I, and also because I don't really enjoy it because I feel bad after. Well, I mean, fast food is just bad for you in general. Right, like, but for <laughs> so, example, yeah. like if I eat a piece of cake, this is a fear food. I will, I will, I will love it. But after, this will be on my head for hours and hours. The guilt, it's the guilt. Ice cream the same? The same, every fear food. Actually, I should feel relieved that I ate it because I overcome this, this fear food. I, I've eaten it. I it. think you have, in a, right. big, in a big way, yeah. But this voice, always here. But the thing is, you'll always have the voice. I, I would always... Well, You're always gonna have the, the disorder. Mm -hmm. You know, that's another thing that you don't like. Or you can recover from it. Or you can recover from an eating disorder? Yeah, it takes years, but my my therapist said it normally takes up to 10 years. Okay. Some some people never recover because, I don't know. Because they don't take responsibility. Probably, I know it sounds harsh, but... Probably, when, or yeah. things happened in their life. They, they were in, the, in a good path and then suddenly someone in their relative family died and then here we go again yeah i mean good gosh you're gonna get you know uh, uh, something's always gonna come out of left field and stunt your progress or at least try to and you're gonna fall you're gonna relapse one of the things that is a symptom of bipolar disorder is hypersexuality and i want to talk about it because when you're experiencing a depression episode there are also negative coping mechanisms and one of those negative coping mechanisms for me became pornography. But because I was depressed so much of the time, I would indulge pornography a lot of the time because it made me not focus on my depression. You know, and just like you with the eating of the cake, I'd feel sick to the core 
after I'd had a binge session. So maybe with binge eating, you can compare binge watching pornography, right? Eventually, I sought out a psychologist and actually got help for this. And I'm doing much better, you know? But again, when I'm having a depression episode, the temptation is always there. And sometimes something's gonna come out of left field and I might, you know, be like, I've been free for like six months, but then something happens and I end up, I don't know. Right. But the thing is, I think the, the thing is that a lot of people view their progress, their recovery progress as, okay, I've been six months clean. Now they've, they've relapsed. Now they're starting from square one. Wrong. No, You're not wrong. starting from square one. You need to see it as, wow, I've gone six months without it. Cool. I've had a relapse. Let's do another six months. Maybe do seven this time. It's about incremental improvement. You know, it, it's, you, you go to the gym. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you haven't been to the gym in months. You know, you don't start by putting fucking 120 kilograms on the barbell, you know, and trying to bench press that shit. Right. You, you don't, you know, maybe you just start with the barbell itself. And then the next time you come to the gym, you put five kilograms on each side. Yeah. And then the next time, you know what I mean? And you go week by week. Uh -huh. And it's a process. It's a slow process. But part of taking responsibility is recognizing that it's going to be a slow process. Yeah. And what you did in Paris, you asked for help. You called your mom and you said, listen, this is getting worse. I think that's the part of you that is fighting this, this, this demon, mm. basically saying that, no, I actually, I want to live. I want to live, yeah. I just don't want to live this shitty life mm. anymore. And you need help for that. Uh -huh. And that's another thing. It's like, you need to ask for help. And, right. that, and, and people, you know, that's not... Asking for help is very courageous mm. because it means that you admit that you have a problem exactly. and you can't do it on your own. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. I think a lot of um, strength from, comes from admitting that you have a weakness and a lot of weakness comes from not admitting that... Actually admitting that you are... No, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. No, you're not. You're human being. You're not super superman. You're not... You're not you're, just you're strong sometimes. You're strong sometimes, mm -hmm. you're weak sometimes. You're not always weak, always strong. So I can say, when I was in Paris, I was dependent on cigarettes, coke, coffee, coke, diet, not coke, cocaine, uh, diet coke, mm -hmm. coke zero. I wouldn't eat uh, breakfast or lunch. And then when I was in the ward, uh, I started eating not breakfast, but lunch, made progress. And then when I went out of the ward, my family took care of my condition, maybe excessively, but at least they cared. I saw a nutritionist, uh, I did some ESMR sessions, which helped, and uh, I made progress in progress, but sometimes I would relapse, like someday I wouldn't eat for a day or just have a, a Pepsi Max or whatever, and this is a relapse, okay, I'm gonna do better the next day. And then I would start, you know, um, increasing my, my calories because you're, when you, you gain weight, your metabolism grows, so you need more uh, substances to fuel your body. This is a progress. But because of that, because of the weight you've put on, it triggers you. So sometimes that's why you, 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 you think, oh, I shouldn't eat this day. And another day, normally when you are recovering from anorexia, not generally, but for my case, it leads sometimes to bulimia which actually you eat okay you eat your lunch but you have an explosion like oh i'm too fat and then you're starting eating everything that you can find or just purging a regular amount of food not because it was excessive 
not it's not about that it's just about like well it's a pulsion i need to i need to do it i need to do a crisis right i need to vomit because now i feel guilty so the 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 crisis comes from a pulsion the the purging comes also from a pulsion you cannot help it actually you start a crisis because you know that afterwards you're going to vomit you do that on purpose to hurt yourself you give yourself an excuse it's not an excuse but, but no what i mean is you give your you put yourself in a situation where that is going to be the most likely outcome so if you know what you i mean you need it while you you rationalize why you need uh-huh. it sometimes i do have extreme hunger when i i'm really really hungry and uh it, it's fine <clears throat> but then eventually the voice comes out again and um sometimes i eat like normally mm-hmm. but because i've been stressed the whole day i didn't feel like i i did anything productive i feel bad about my my self esteem esteem is very very low i need to purge all of these bad feelings all this these thoughts it's like when you're hurting yourself to forget about the pain in your head right so basically if i understand it correctly purging yourself is kind of symbolic of purging the filthy thoughts out of your body yeah. and that's kind of how you rationalize yeah, it in the moment i see i see but it's the only a thing you deserve okay yeah right it's i mean very similar i mean i can obviously relate to that but in terms of in terms of taking responsibility so when i was going through one of the really tough periods of my life and i i have had several since but this is a few years ago i discovered a clinical psychologist online named jordan peterson and he has a lot to say about taking responsibility for your mental health and that's the first time i actually thought about it and i haven't always done it well you know i feel like i'm doing it better now than i ever have but he said something profound that is so simple he said clean up your room Mm-hmm. as a starting point. And I was like, clean up your room. Oh, what's that going to do? But I started doing that. And the first thing you do is you make up your bed. What is that? Well, you start the morning off by doing something productive. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do now? Okay, you've cleaned your bed. Okay, now okay, but there's some mess over here now. So let me clean that up. So it kind of inspires a very healthy domino effect of you cleaning up your entire room. Mm-hmm. and he says that a room your room is a manifestation of your mind so if you have a messed up room well that is basically saying something about your state of mind now i just believe this to be true because when i started cleaning up my room you know and then eventually you know i put things on i put like a poster on the wall i put some ornaments in there i put a plant in there you know i put some things that i really like and they really bring me joy paint the walls yellow for example not blue which is a depressing color but yellow which is a bright color you know and when i was young i used to like the color blue and i would paint my rooms blue and i would you know i was so depressed when i was in my room but now the room is yellow you know it's a wonderful warm color to wake up to so you wake up to that warmth um and it's quite inspiring and then you know it leads you to want to clean up another part of the house so purging the kitchen for example cleaning up all the compartments in the kitchen cleaning the refrigerator okay now okay now the kitchen's clean okay but now the other rooms are not so you go now clean the rest so now you get your house in order so basically he says he's got a really good book called 12 rules for life um and one of the rules is 
get your house in order before trying to change the world. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I think that's that's one of them because yeah. I read that book. I bought it and I read it during that year. Oh. And it's that's 100% true. Before you go out there trying to change the world and telling other people how to live their lives, you first need to get your life in order. And until you've taken responsibility for your disease, don't go out into the world and use it as an excuse to behave however you want to behave. And I say this knowing that I've done this. I have done this in the past. I've used my bipolar disorder as an excuse to behave however I wanted to behave because there were certain moments where I just didn't feel like I had the strength to continue along a path that was beneficial to me because it's hard to get on that path. But the thing is, you do have that strength. Me, it's the contrary. I never used to say I was, uh, I have an eating disorder because I was ashamed of it. And because I, I was thin for sure, but because of the assumptions that people make for, for them, I was not anorexic physically. So I couldn't say I've got an eating disorder. I was really ashamed of it. But then when I started seeing uh, psychologists that actually told me, no, no, you have a problem. Like, admit it. It's not a weakness, but you do have it. And it's it's okay. Uh, there's medication for that. There's, uh, you know, psychological help for that. Uh, so eventually, I wasn't scared to tell people who love me and that I love, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling there. Uh, this, is, uh, this is my weakest point. This is it. This is, um, if you want to target me, well, shoot me on that because I, I can be strong sometimes, but this is something that brings me very, very low. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would add to that, since the podcast is called Loving Someone with a Mental Illness, because my condition is part of not loving yourself, I, was, I felt like I wasn't ready to engage into a, a relationship because I didn't love myself enough. So how can you love someone if you don't love yourself? Well, actually you can. Because now I feel like I've made progress. Thank God. If I compare myself one year ago and from where I am today, it's day and night. And I start to love myself more and more every day, even though sometimes I have relapse and bad days and blah, blah, blah. But I'm starting to see my my value uh, as a human being as a young woman and i uh, that's why I, I i i was ready now to engage into a relationship because before that i didn't love myself enough so i was really against any relationship no 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 no, no, no. you will love love me because i have this and that i'm not ready for that because when you're in a relationship like if the other person do not understand it and is not doesn't really want to interfere with it you don't you cannot really trust him well that person so, doesn't really love you as far as i'm concerned yeah right mm -hmm. but uh so you 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 try to hide it from him or you, you you try not to talk about it uh and it can destroy a relationship it can it certainly can i also think that loving yourself is it's not about do I love myself or do I not love myself? It's a process. Mm. You're continuously working on loving yourself. There are days that you do and there are days that you don't. But the thing is not to be absolute about everything. You know, don't be like, I'm depressed. Just rather, I'm experiencing depression at the moment. Mm. Experiencing, I-N-G, it's a process. That means that 
it's not necessarily going to continue yeah, right. for longer. It is temporary. And that's the thing, like, it is temporary. Or, I mean, temporary in the sense that it doesn't have to be your whole life. And there are ways, there are healthy coping mechanisms. You can ask for help. I take my medication. Again, I'm not a mental health professional, but I take my meds. I see a psychologist. I am all the better for it. And uh, I wouldn't mess around with, you know, people say to me something like, those meds are what's wrong with the world. Pharmaceutical industries, you know, just making money off you or flush them down the toilet. Those people, they might mean well, but that is very dangerous. It's very dangerous to talk and take advice from anybody who yeah. has an attitude like that, who doesn't understand, who hasn't done reading on it. Mm. Which brings up my next point, which is when I met you, we both decided that we were going to buy books on each other's disorders. My book is called Loving Someone with an Eating Disorder. Your book is Loving Someone with Bipolar Disorder. I mean, we called, decided to call this podcast Loving Someone with a Mental Illness just because it seemed to make logical sense. And um, it really, really helped this book. Mm -hmm. It helped me understand it. It also helped me um, in terms of knowing what to do when a certain situation arises. So not to panic, you know, but to be calm, to be loving, to help, to know that this is not you, to know that this is something else, something that is this little voice, this demon that is whispering to you. And sometimes you're not gonna be strong enough to handle it. and if I panic or if I were to judge or if I were to lose it as well, well then we both lose. But knowing that, you know, when, there's this great poem my grandfather used to tell me. Jack Spratt could eat no fat, his wife could eat no lean. So together the two of them licked the platter clean. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really big because the thing is like, both of them couldn't do something but could do, the, could do another thing, you know? So when, I've, at, at least I've never experienced a situation where we're both having episodes at the same time. But even then, I feel like, basically, when you're going through some shit, I'll be there. And when I'm going through yeah. some shit, you'll be there. Exactly. You know? And that's, I think it's um, by, by helping the one that you love, you're actually helping the relationship grow. You're helping yourself. You're helping yourself also. Because you help other people, and, and especially the one that you love, the, 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 the love of your life, the, your partner, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is. Family members, Family friends. Family members, friends, yes. So I used to stop myself from being in love because I didn't even know what love meant. I didn't love myself. I thought everyone didn't love me. Uh, nobody understood me. So how can I be understood, loved, and being in love? And I think a mental illness shouldn't be an obstacle in, for, for you to engage into a relationship, because everyone, even though they are struggling with a, a battle in their heads, they deserve happiness, they deserve a future, they deserve to, to be in love, because love is actually the greatest thing in the world. Love can save you. Love is the answer. Yeah, love is the answer. So if you're struggling with a uh, mental illness or if you feel like something might be wrong with you, not with you per se, but with your brain, don't hesitate to ask for help. Family members, uh, friends and call, uh, you know, doctors, emergency numbers. Uh... Pick up the phone and call someone. Yes. When you're struggling, mm. because more, more often than not, if they're your friend or they love you, mm. they're going to help you. Il y a des aventures tous les jours. Bah oui. Ah.